Nathan Foster here, and welcome once again to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. So I'm getting ready to finish my years here at Spring Arbor, uh, nine years teaching. And before I leave, I wanted to uh, interview one more person from the university. And uh, today my guest is Dr. Rich Cornell. And Rich is uh, teaches in New Testament in the theology department. And uh, he's uh, a bit of a Tolkien scholar. And uh, I, he has some things he's very passionate about, interested in, and I thought uh, it might be fun to sit down and chat with him. So welcome, Rich. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking time. Um, is it safe for me to say you're obsessed with Tolkien? Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll embrace that uh, that obsession or addiction, yes. <laughs> obsession addiction. I love the um, almost the juxtaposition of, I mean, I mean, I see you as a very respected scholar in, in your own right, um, yet don't you like dress up and... Oh, do- yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, when we have a little... Uh, uh, a Tolkien movie marathon here that's, that's, uh, we've been putting on for a few years and people will dress up for this. Uh, I'll wear my, my, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings rings that students <laughs> have bought me in the past. And yeah, I'm totally not beyond dressing up and looking the part. I love it. I love it. Hey, we were talking the other day and, and you were given some really interesting thoughts on mm. the Silmarillion. Yes. And, and just to preface for people who don't know, Silmarillion was the, kind of final book that Tolkien never finished? Yeah, really. It's it's the first stuff he's working on. So when he is um, recovering from trench fever in World War One, some of the okay. first stuff that he's writing is the Silmarillion, which is basically his sort of mythological backstory. It's kind of like the backstory behind The Hobbit, way behind The Hobbit and way behind The Lord of the Rings, how the world uh, came into being, who the, the gods of the world are, how how elves and men fell, all that sort of mythic stuff is what the Silmarillion is. And it, it was the stuff he was working on first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the stuff that he was working on uh, at the end of his life and trying to, to, to complete, to publish, and never quite got there. Mm-hmm. And, and more than that, it was it was what was dearest to him. Mm-hmm. The Silmarillion material was what he really loved most, more than the stuff that got published. And in fact... Uh, when after The Hobbit was a success and mm-hmm. the publisher said, how about Hobbit 2, which turned into Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. he wanted to pitch the Lord of the Rings as a combo package okay. with what came to be the three volumes. You know, it's a thousand pages, but he wanted the Silmarillion published with that. Right. So instead of a thousand page book, you know, if he'd had his way, you know, more like a 1500 page book with this myth, mythological backstory uh-huh, uh-huh. setting the, setting the, the table, if you will, for the Lord of the Rings. When his publishers had read pieces of the Silmarillion, they're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> it's a tough read. Isn't yeah, it, it, it is. And people who, who love the Hobbit and people who love the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, when, when the Silmarillion came out and it was published after Tolkien died, his son mm-hmm. Christopher, who was mm-hmm. his literary executor, comb through, I mean, just who knows how many pages mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. many different versions of, of the same story to put together a, a sort of Silmarillion that made sense. This was uh, published a few years after Tolkien died. And when people heard about another Tolkien book, they were so excited. Mm-hmm. And when <laughs> disappointed. In a way, yes. <laughs> I mean, many are the people who begin the Silmarillion and many are the people who don't finish it, yeah, I think. I would, it's a completely, I would be one of those. You would be one of those, yeah. Because <laughs> it's a completely different genre, really. Right, right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is your – um, as a theology professor, mm-hmm. um, looking at some of the theology behind the Lord of the Rings yes. in this world Tolkien was creating, 
share with me a little bit about the the topic you were presenting in the paper at, at yes. Taylor. Yes. Um, uh, well, in, in some ways, you know, the Silmarillion is is my favorite uh, uh, Tolkien material. Okay. And, and part of that is because it's most it's the most explicitly theological. Mm-hmm. In a way, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are both theological. His Tolkien's Catholic theology kind of infuses the work. Mm-hmm. He he never wanted to be explicit. He had some hard words for C.S. Lewis, <laughs> who he thought was too preachy, right? So he mm-hmm. never thought, hey, I'm just going to sneak in my theology in the guise of this story. No, not at all. But But his faith does infuse all of his work. But the Silmarillion, most of all, is the most theologically rich, because mm-hmm. it talks about notions of creation and 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 uh, and fall and temptation and all of that. So that's why I've been drawn to that. So the project I was working on most recently for the uh, the C.S. Lewis and Friends Colloquium at Taylor, which mm-hmm. is a, a group that meets every two years, looked at at Tolkien's idea that death. Is the gift of a Luvatar. A Luvatar is the is the god of his universe, the All Father, okay. if you will. Sometimes also called Eru, or simply the One. So within the Silmarillion, and even in Tolkien's letters talking about it, death, mortality, is described as a gift that God gave to men. Okay. Now elves are immortal. Mm-hmm. They they can be killed. Right, or they can even waste away from grief. But if they're not killed, if they don't uh, get too depressed, uh, they live uh, as long as as the world itself lives. Uh, mm. Tolkien calls his world what we would call Earth could be called Arda. So th- the elves' life is bound to Arda, and so as long as Arda exists, so too will the elves. So they're immortal. They're not eternal because Arda itself isn't eternal. Arda okay. will come to an end Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the elves presumably will as well but as long as the world endures they endure so they're so they're they're immortal if you will well men aren't okay men you know live a certain number of years and die and uh, but this this fact that they die is described as a gift Hmm. now it's a gift that they're not sure that they want right and they begin to envy the elves and look at them and say wow you guys are immortal you get to live forever you don't have to leave this world uh we wish we could be like you and what ends up happening is you have this case of sort of mutual envy in a way that the men envy the elves immortality but then the elves sometimes look at men and say, that whole gift thing, mm-hmm. um, you should take that seriously. Mm-hmm. This this nature that you, you live a while and die was given to you by God, by a Luvatar. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of your story. Okay. When you leave this world, you go somewhere and the elves say, hey, we don't know where. But a Luvatar has got something more in store for you mm-hmm. on the other mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. And be careful what you envy. You mm-hmm. envy us because we live forever, but given the nature of the world that we live in and the evils mm-hmm. that are in the world, um, to back up here just a minute, there, there's a devil figure okay. whose name is Melkor or, or later called Morgoth. He's really messed things up mm-hmm. and the world's kind mm-hmm. of a mess because of him. And, and part of what the elves end up saying is there's a sort of evil in the world that even when we have victories, they're short-lived mm-hmm. and evil mm-hmm. comes back. Even when Melkor is eventually uh, the, banished and those who know the Lord of the Rings will know that eventually Sauron is defeated. Mm-hmm. But Tolkien's very clear in his written work and in his notes on that, that even when these big baddies are overthrown, that does not mean evil mm-hmm. is overthrown. Mm-hmm. So the elves end up coming back and saying, 
it's actually quite a burden to mm. live forever and to see victories turn in and more to evil, defeat. Evil yes. Continues to. Yes. And that humans in this context will be rescued, saved from this. That Tolkien cycle. uses the language of escape, escape, that they get to escape from this, this world that has this sort of taint of evil uh-huh. that you never fully, completely overcome. Uh-huh. So the elves uh-huh. are like, actually the elves and even the quote, well, the lower case G gods okay. who sort of um, rule Arda uh, in Tolkien's mythology, we could think of them as angels mm-hmm. who come down mm-hmm. and kind of reign over the world. Uh, the, they're, they're, they come to be known as the Valar, the powers. Mm-hmm. We're told in the Silmarillion that even the Valar, not just the elves, even the Valar might come to envy men mm-hmm. because the Valar themselves, to, to, they, they chose to step into the world and in a way to be bound to it like the elves, in a way they can't escape it either. Mm-hmm. So even the Valar might envy this the, this gift, which oh, is death. death. Yeah. And and. What's so interesting to me in that is is to begin thinking about kind of our life here mm-hmm. on Earth. I mean, we're kind of perpetually trying to escape death and prolong youth, mm-hmm. you know, at, at any cost. Yes. But the death has some real positives. Yes. We may not want to find the fountain of youth and live forever. Yes. On Earth. Yes. I mean, this idea of dying well. I mean, it, it, part of what I considered in my paper where I I pose this question, is this one place where Tolkien's theology, his Catholic theology, uh, and the kind of uh, logic of his written world don't line up? Because Mm. doesn't the Apostle Paul say that that death is the final enemy to be defeated? Isn't death conceived of as a sort of consequence or indeed punishment for sin? Mm -hmm. So in a way, Mm -hmm. you could say, hey, Tolkien's view of death as gift doesn't line up real awesome with the Mm -hmm. New Testament. But I think what you're hinting at, there's another sense where, you know, in this world, we too will have trouble. Right. And though we can be saved as Christians, though we can be redeemed, though we can even be renewed in, in sanctification, there is a sense in which our ultimate fulfillment, our ultimate restoration will be on the other side mm-hmm, of death. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense in the Christian tradition of dying well. I mean, there were some mm-hmm. classic medieval works that talked about this idea of how to how do we die well, die uh, with faith, mm-hmm. trusting in the mm-hmm. one who is mm-hmm. the, the giver and restorer of life, mm-hmm. uh, and in hope. Mm-hmm. So I think there is within the Christian strand this idea of uh, we. it is a noble thing. It is a virtue to, to die well, mm-hmm. trusting mm-hmm. in the one who is the, the giver of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe uh, uh, I mean, we think in terms of kind of original context, Adam and Eve mm-hmm. garden, the idea that I think is that they wouldn't have died. Right. and that, um, But yet in the midst of the fall, this redemption of we get to die. Yes. Is that yeah. is that whole yeah. together? Well, you, I mean, there's you know, the, there's so much speculation about the the, the different um, interpretations of of Genesis one, two, and especially three. Mm-hmm. But when God kicks them out of the garden, uh, barring them access to the tree of life, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Was the point that if they take the tree of life now? They live forever, but live forever in that fallen, alienated, broken state. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of existence would that be? Because as soon as they sin, I mean, you see 
you see the results of that. They start throwing each other under the bus, right? <laughs> right, right, right. It's that darn woman, right? If you have, give me that woman. And the, the woman says, it's that darn snake, right? And, and the first game of pass the buck and the, the alienation between them and God. Uh-huh, they uh-huh. used to be in his presence and it was great. Now they hide from him. Mm-hmm, They're throwing mm-hmm. each other under the bus. Life has been marred in some way. So if they take and eat of the tree of life, do they then live forever mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. sort of brokenness, alienation. So even the expulsion from the garden, which looks like punishment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is it in a way a kind of gift? A gift. Yeah. What was, I was just reading this the other day, the, the, which it just jumped out at me. The, the verse where it says, we need to keep them from the tree or something. Yeah. Is that right? Um, which I just, I never thought of that before. We, I assume the Trinity yeah. you know, talking, mm-hmm. Um, that maybe then that was for their own good, sure. keep them away. Uh, boy, that's fascinating to me. To and it puts that- a different, uh, it gives a different take on God's punishment, right, uh-huh. or God's uh-huh. discipline. And uh, Tolkien will say something like this in his letters as well that all of God's punishments are really a sort of means towards restoring us. Yes. So it's not just purely punitive. Right. Right. Um, God's always going somewhere uh, in His work with humans. Uh, <laughs> Uh, making, helping us uh, fix the messes we've got ourselves in, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and and that makes total sense in the context of a loving father. Yes. That when I discipline my children, I'm not, you know, trying to be cruel and hurt them, but yeah. looking for something better and That's right. restoration That's and right. growth. Uh, so why wouldn't God? Yeah, and I think it's so important to keep that in mind. I, I, another interest of mine is the book of Revelation. Uh-huh. And, and one of my big gripes about Revelation is some Christians seem to read that and think, you know, this is the God carpet bombs the universe right, right. Uh, book. And uh, people get rather excited about God judging people and throwing them to hell forever. And I think what ends up happening sometime is people can't distinguish God from the other guy, okay. <laughs> from, from, from the evil one. It's the, it's the evil one who seeks to, to, to destroy. Okay. It's the evil one who seeks to undo creation. The, the destruction, even the destruction that God does, let alone his discipline and judgment, even the destruction is only a means to an end, mm-hmm. a greater mm-hmm. end of redemption. So in Revelation, we read that God came to destroy the destroyers of the mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's destroying those who are destroying because at, at heart he is a redeemer. Mm-hmm. He is a mm-hmm. creator and a recreator. It's the other guy that's mm-hmm. all about death and destruction mm-hmm. and, and evil. So keeping that separate is yeah. really helpful. No, that is because it then would be very easy to... Uh, assigned to God characteristics that that are not right. in them that we don't right we don't see that's that's helpful. You um, a, Tolkien was very clear, I think, to mm. say that he was not writing allegory. Right? Is that yet to me? It feels like allegory. Yeah. Well, there there are some works that he wrote that that just that just are allegory, despite all of his uh protestations against that. <laughs> he wrote a wonderful little short story uh, called Leaf by Niggle, which is very allegorical. In some ways, it's the story of his life. Uh, it's a wonderful little tale. Mm-hmm. But even in his major works, despite all of his, you know, um, his pro- protestations against that, uh, there are elements, I think, that are. But I think what Tolkien would say and what he did say mm-hmm. when people tried to do this. What he was really resistant to was this sort of one-to-one correspondence thing, right? right? The ring is not the nuclear bomb. Um, Gandalf is not Christ. Uh, The kinds of things that you can in some ways do with C.S. Lewis. So Aslan, okay, Mm -hmm. really is the Christ, his father beyond the sea, 
God the Father. Uh, his works don't work at that level. And what Tolkien would say when pressed about allegory is to say that it's not allegory doesn't mean that there aren't application points. Doesn't mean that we can't mm -hmm. read this and find spiritual nourishment in terms mm -hmm. of spiritual application. Mm -hmm. So he, he was much uh, happier with that kind of description. Mm -hmm. I think his problem with allegory is he, he continued to say, I want to write just a good story. Right. That's the right. goal. A story that Christian, non-Christian, whoever w would read and enjoy and get in a way kind of lost in a good story mm -hmm. takes us into that world and we live and move and breathe mm -hmm. in that world while we're there. Mm -hmm. It works well as story. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted first. And I think he felt like with allegory and other types of reading like that, once you crack the code, once you figure out, oh, the ring is the nuclear bomb or um, Gandalf or Sin Frodo. Or something. Yeah, you've kind of you've kind of got the message and then you leave the story to the side. Mm -hmm. I've got the moral. I've got right, the message. Right, right. And that appalled him. Uh -huh. He wanted the story as story yeah. to be the focal point. Yeah. Well, and I think there there is something to every good story to me has just – the gospel narrative is woven into it, mm -hmm. you know, fall, redemption, yes. plot, crisis. Yes. And, and so it kind of makes sense that beautiful stories are always have some allegorical lessons yeah. for us, I guess. Absolutely. And, and I think a piece that ties in here is Tolkien thought that in a way he would speak not of, of kind of writing this material almost or, or inventing it almost discovering it. <laughs> yes. He had this sense that he was, he used a term called sub-creating, mm -hmm. that God mm -hmm. is the ultimate creator. God mm -hmm. can create out of nothing, nothing creation ex nihilo. But we're made in his image, and part of that image is we create because we're made in the image of a creator. So we create things. I mean, we can make things with our hands, but we also can create with our minds. We create stories mm -hmm. uh, using the material that we have. And God's a storyteller, so we're a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And and these stories, even stories prior to Christ, in some ways kind of give testimony to it. Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien was influential in helping Lewis, C.S. Lewis, make the second step in the spiritual journey. Lewis went from being uh, a sort of devout atheist mm -hmm. to a theist. But then the next step was to become move from a theist to a Christian. There was a famous walk that, that, that Tolkien went on with Lewis, and there was another member of the, the Inklings with them as well, Hugo Dyson. And in that walk, uh, Tolkien was kind of able to convince Lewis that some of what he loved, even in some of the ancient myths, there's a Norse god, uh, if I'm getting this right, Balder, okay. who, who died and came back to life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what Tolkien helped Lewis understand is part of why that story moves you is it's an echo yes. of the ultimate story, yes. right? That, that the story, capital S, is the gospel and all good stories in some way uh, are contingent upon it. Even if those stories were written prior to sure. the incarnation sure. of Jesus, yeah. God yeah. being out of time, the ultimate story informs all stories. Yes, and yes. he convinced Lewis that, that, that the gospel was that underlying narrative uh, that gave meaning and power uh, and profundity uh, yes, to all the narratives, yes. the pagan narratives that uh -huh, he loved. Uh-huh. I love that this idea that the 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 Jesus story, the narrative is just echoes all through humankind yes. and, and reverberates on and we can't 
ever really escape its beauty and power. Right, right. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's really good. And it gives us the ability. I, I think what's neat about that is sometimes Christians can kind of, I don't know, put up our walls and say, well, if it's not Christian literature, I'm not going to read it. And, and of course, lots of people, lots of parents, I think, have mm-hmm. kept their kids away from not only Harry Potter, but C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, because that's fantasy and there's magic and wizards and it's not explicitly Christian. Right, right. I think what's neat about this idea we're talking about is to say, well, at a profound level, it is anywhere we find this truth and beauty and meaning, even in literature that knows nothing of our faith. What if the seeds of that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are those gospel Christian seeds? It kind of opens up to a see literature outside the the narrow boundaries of Christian literature mm-hmm, and to see mm-hmm. its theological value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, the uh, One of the big takeaways for me from reading The Lord of the Rings is this picture of beauty, mm. friendship, mm. loyalty, um, honor that yes. just moved me to tears. Yes. Particularly see it in the Sam Frodo relationship. Oh, yes. Um, just And... and God's all over that. Yes. You know, yes. It's just, it's even even where there's never an explicit kind of reference, right? This is uh-huh. the weird thing about the the, the trilogy. And, and the reason why people would say his faith really isn't there. You don't see, you know, you don't see them going to church. <laughs> you don't really see them praying. Where's the mention of God? Mm-hmm. But yet mm-hmm. just beneath the surface, you have this sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, well, Gandalf will say, there are other powers at work beside those that oppose us. Yes. And that's part of what drew me to Tolkien. When I read Tolkien, it, it's a spiritual experience for me. Now, I'm not claiming, you know, Tolkien's on the level with Scripture, and I'm not right. going to crack open my Bible and stick in the Lord of the Rings <laughs> as, a, you know, the new books. But it is a spiritual experience for me to read that. I, I come away from it feeling edified, uh-huh, lifted uh-huh. up. I feel like a better man yeah. when I finished yeah, reading absolutely. Tolkien. Absolutely. So ah, I love it. I and love I think it. if I can add something here, Please. one of my colleagues, Jeff Bilbra, who wrote a really uh, great uh, little article. I can't, I can't think of the name of it right now, but the article basically said, here's why Tolkien has appealed to so many. He does what few authors can do. He makes the good mm-hmm. uh, winsome. Mm. He makes the good, the noble, the pure mm-hmm. compelling. And I think what, what my colleague was talking about there, we all know that in some ways evil mm-hmm. and the sinister and the dark and the demonic is alluring. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's exciting. It's, you know, there's something that, that, that draws us to that. Uh, I mean, in the great work, Milton's great work, Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. For a long time, critics have said, hey, you know, Satan's a lot um, sexier, <laughs> if I can put it that way, than God. He comes uh-huh. off looking more heroic, more noble than God, even though he's the evil character. So I think we all realize in some ways the, the dark draws us in ways uh-huh. that we're not real comfortable with. It, right. it seems more interesting uh-huh. than uh-huh. the good. Mm-hmm. Bill Bro's comment is Tolkien has found a way to make the good Mm-hmm. make us long for the good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy to do. Yeah. And to make the dark and the evil seem repulsive. Right. Seem for what it really is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love good stories. I love how how the spiritual life can be, stories can be so helpful in the spiritual life. Yes. And and just this one you were talking about earlier of the uh, the gift of death. Yes. And how that alleviates the grass greener on the other side mentality. 
um, and we learn to live where we're at. Yes, and, and pursue beauty in God and uh, in our lives. Hey, thank you so much, Rich. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, your your insight is just fun. Uh, this so was fun. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Okay.